You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Amen. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and be turning to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We continue our gifted series this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So I was thinking about this lesson. I was thinking about myself as a, as a kid. I don't know if any of you, anybody here really just love going to the doctor? Anybody? Absolutely love going to the doctor? I really hated going to the doctor when I was a kid. Like, really, I know everybody says they hated going to the doctor, but I'm telling you, like, literally one time when I was, like, 10 years old, uh, they were trying to give me a shot, and I fought off the doctor and the nurse and sprinted out the front door of the doctor's office and halfway down the street before my parents caught up with me. Uh, another time when I was a little kid, I think I, I, had a, I had a nurse up to about 30 or $40. She was going to pay me if I would just be quiet and let her give me the shot. Um, so, I mean, I really, really passionately disliked going to the doctor, especially if it ever came to getting a shot. Uh, I thought that I knew that I really didn't need that shot. But I can tell you one time, another little issue that I had when I was a kid was I was super, super allergic to poison oak, poison ivy. Anybody else in here have that problem? Uh, so I was really, really allergic to it. And yet my, we had like eight or nine acres and my chore was always having to weed eat. Um, and so if you ever weed eated a patch of poison oak or poison ivy and you're allergic to it, you know that it gives this nice little mist and spray all over your entire body, and then you're prone to really get that. So if you've ever had poison oak or poison ivy very bad, this one time I got it literally covering my face, covering every square inch, and I can tell you that as bad as I hated doctors and as bad as I hated shots, I was begging my parents to go get me the shot, okay? If it gets to a certain point, you're ready to do whatever the doctor says, whatever the doctor tells you to get some kind of relief. So what we're looking at today is a passage of Scripture where, um, where we're going we're gonna to hear from Paul the way that we're supposed to go about worshiping and using our spiritual gifts together as a family, the way that we're called to do that. And when it comes to spiritual gifts and when it comes to the way we want to serve in church, a lot of times we're like me as a kid at the doctor. You know, I, I'll hear what you say, but I feel like I know better. I don't, I don't really want to do it that way. Whereas we're going to see from this passage today very clearly is that God gives us and has ordained a way that we're supposed to use these gifts if we're going to receive and give the blessing and the joy and the fulfillment that God has called for us to receive. Okay, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're going to start that today in verse, uh, we're going to start in verse 18. Start in verse 18. So this is what this passage says. It says, I thank God that I speak, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you were out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophecy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. For was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized." So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophecy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now there's a lot going on in this passage of Scripture. Just like church services at Corinth were very chaotic, this passage is a little bit chaotic. There's a lot of stuff that Paul's talking about, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I think we can distill it down to a couple of really clear points that he's trying to make today. And one thing that I would really want to challenge us on is the desire to know Christ and to make him known should drive all believers to use their gifts to build up the church in the way that God has ordained. The desire to know and make Christ known should drive all believers to use their gifts to build up the church in the way that God ordained. Okay, I think we can see this very clearly in this passage. Now, the thing we have to remember about this church at Corinth, so we're not, we're not looking at these passages of Scripture out of context. We're looking at them clearly in the context of this passage. So this church at Corinth was a very kind of chaotic, divided church. There were people who were worried about all the wrong things. So we had people brazenly living in open sin in the church in Corinth, and nobody was addressing it. Nobody was dealing with it. Nobody was worried about those big things, and yet they were worried about smaller things, about trying to make themselves look impressive by how they spoke in tongues. They were worried about these small debates and conflicts and missing the big ideas and the big points. This passage, chapter 14, is tucked right in between two other very key passages that are probably more familiar to you in Corinthians. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, we have the famous passage on love, and that ultimately we hear faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So this emphasis on love that Paul brings. And then in chapter 15, we have this incredible display of the gospel and how the gospel is preeminent in everything. And so as we're examining this passage in 1 Corinthians, remember, we're looking at this in context of the big picture of who Paul is talking to, 
a church that is very divided, where you go to a church service and people are fighting about little things that don't matter. There's no order. There's no control. It's just chaos. Uh, where people are openly living in sin and nobody's dealing with it or addressing it, a church that's very influenced by the culture around them and that is not influencing the culture for the gospel. And then in the context of this passage, the emphasis on the love that we're called to have for God and for others and the emphasis on the gospel as preeminent over everything else. So that's the context that we're looking at this passage on spiritual gifts in. Specifically, this comparison that Paul's going to make between the gift of, of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And so, at the very beginning, we didn't read this passage, but if you look back at the, the beginning of chapter four, 14, uh, Paul says, pursue love, okay, connecting to that last passage uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And he says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophecy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries of the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So again, we're, we're taking this idea of loving one another, and in loving one another, we're called to use our spiritual gifts to build one another up. So he's drawing straight from this passage on love. The way that we love each other as a body of Christ is to use these gifts that he's given us to build each other up. And he says, and remember, some of these gifts are more important than others. You and the church of Corinth, they've kind of fallen into this problem where they're, they're kind of obsessed with this, uh, this gift of tongues, this, this gift of speaking in tongues. And so they're doing this constantly. This is a real issue for them, and they're getting distracted by some of the, the more important things. And so he's going to turn to emphasize to them, no, we need to make sure that we're building each other up. Well, this, the, the way that you're speaking in tongues right now may be encouraging to you. Uh, it may be useful as, tongues, as far as tongues go in, in speaking to unbelievers who, who don't understand the gospel like it was in Acts. But at the end of the day, it's not building up the body of Christ. And so strongly desire this gift of prophecy. Now, there again, like we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, different ideas about what the gift of prophecy might be. Is that just new revelation from God? Or is that, uh, is that preaching? Is that the same kind of thing? Uh, we're not going to necessarily solve that debate here this morning. Again, like a lot of these spiritual gifts, uh, they're really strong theologians and really great pastors who we all respect, who are kind of on both sides of these issues. But I think we have a, a good definition that we can really understand that kind of fits both of those categories, where we're talking about Old Testament prophets all the way through preachers. Prophecy can just be proclaiming the words of God for the purpose of building up the people of God. Okay, so when we're talking about prophecy in this context, I think that's a really solid definition for us. Proclaiming the words of God for the purpose of building up the people of God. And so the first thing that we want to see from this passage today is that we're called to spend our time on the clearly revealed word of God. We're supposed to spend our time on the clearly revealed word of God. While there are many things that are difficult to understand, well, there are many things that are challenging. Well, there are many of passages like the passage we're looking at here in 1 Corinthians that can be a little confusing. You know, even someone like Peter says, hey, you're reading Paul, he can be very confusing. Okay? So people who spend time literally with Jesus for years can have a hard time understanding some of these things. And yet there are things in the scripture that are very clear, and we know very clearly that these are essential to our faith 
And these are the things we should be spending the majority of our time on. It doesn't mean that we can't have questions about the text of Scripture as we're reading through it. It doesn't mean that we don't dig into to certain uh, less well-known passages of Scripture. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is that the emphasis should be on those things that God has clearly called us to, has clearly revealed to us. Because here's the thing. What, what I know is, is that as believers, it's difficult enough for us to, to live in light of the, the Scripture and the truth that has been clearly revealed to us. Okay, It's already hard enough to submit to the Word of God that is clear. It's already difficult enough for us to be disciplined in pursuing the things that we know from Scripture are true. And, and so we're called to those things first and foremost as preeminent in our lives. And the other things, again, it's not that, not that we can't dig into those deep things of Scripture and those kinds of things, that there's no value in it. We know there's value in all Scripture, but we want to make sure that we're striving for those things. The Corinthians were getting so distracted and fighting over things that were secondary, and they were neglecting the key truths. Okay? So they fought over tongues and yet openly lived in sin. How often do we allow ourselves to be distracted by petty things that just don't really matter that much? Now, one of the things that Paul does in this passage is he refers back to Isaiah 28, 11 through 12. So he's going to say um, in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of the foreigners will I speak to this people. Even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So if you go back and look at Isaiah chapter 28, this passage that he's referring to, Isaiah is prophesying to, to the people of God in a time when they are uh, very far from God, when they're very much like the Corinthians. They're being very much influenced by the world around them and not influencing the world for God and for the gospel. And so their they're, they're, uh, leaders, he, he talks about their leaders are drunk and distracted. He, he literally goes so far as to say that there's just vomit covering everything that they're supposed to be doing. So with his very descriptive language, he makes it very clear that the people of God are not where they're supposed to be. And then he uses tongues as a way to condemn them. He says it's going to be people of foreign tongues who come and proclaim the truth to the people of God because they've forsaken what they're supposed to be doing. Okay, so, so he tells them it's going to, these tongues is almost a judgment on God's people because they're not clearly following God in Isaiah. And that's the passage that he's referring back to here. And again, saying tongues can be useful. Tongues can, can uh, you know, we see like again in Acts, we see people come to faith in God because they couldn't have heard the gospel without tongues being spoken, that they could in that, in that context understand and hear. And tongues can be uh, of use to condemn or judge the people of God, like in the case of Isaiah. But they're not the higher gifts that, that the Corinthians are supposed to be aspiring to or that we're supposed to necessarily be aspiring to first and foremost in this passage. He's saying prophecy is of much more value. In the majority of the cases we see in Scripture, tongues are real languages that are being used to correct, to instruct, or to proclaim the gospel in truth to other people who might not necessarily have spoken those languages. Now, if you read all of 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see that there, at least in Corinth, were certain instances where there were utterances that nobody could necessarily understand. We see some mention of that in Scripture, but the overwhelming majority of these were, was not necessarily the case. There were languages that people could hear and understand. And we see, again, here in the context that Paul's talking about, these were 
more a sign of judgment on the people of God who were not walking in obedience to God than they were a sign, you know, a sign of God's great blessing on people. So he says, tongues, they're primarily for unbelievers. Like we said, we see them in Acts as a primary way that, that they're kind of used. But prophecy, he says, prophecy is a way that we're supposed to build God's people up. And this is what's going to get us to the real heart of what Paul is trying to get out in this passage. So we see, contextually, tongues were an issue, a conflict that the people in Corinth were, were dealing with. But we don't want to make the same mistake the Corinthians were doing and get so bogged down in some of these side details that we miss the heart of this passage. And the heart of the passage, the point that we're trying to make here is that God has called us to use the gifts that he's given us to build up the church. Okay? A lot of stuff that we see here in, in Corinthians, a lot of stuff that we're not trying, to, not trying to avoid, not trying to get away from conflict and all the... But again, we don't want to make the same mistake that the Corinthians were making and miss the big point. And the big point is, is God has given us gifts to encourage each other and to build, to build up the body of Christ. That's the point that he's trying to make in this passage. So we look at, at verse 25 for just a second. He says, The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The clearly proclaimed word of God drives people to worship God and not focus on petty things that don't really matter that much. The clear teaching of Scripture is going to drive us to worship the Creator. It's going to drive us to, to worship and praise the one who's given us the gifts and not to focus on how special we are because we have the gifts. So we have to ask ourselves, do the things that our mind focuses, focuses on when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the church, the things that we ponder, the things that we study, the things that we talk with other believers about, are those things that are driving us to our knees in repentance and to awe and worship and love of our Savior? And if not, do we, we have to ask ourselves if we're not focused on the wrong things. The things that we care about, the things that we read about when it comes to the things of God, the things that our minds and hearts are drawn to in Scripture, are those the things that are going to be drawing our hearts and the hearts of others to worship God and to, to, to desire Him and to know Him more and to love Him? Are they the things that drive us to repentance and to ask forgiveness of our sins? Are they things that drive us to glorify ourselves or cause division amongst other believers? Because here's the reality. Unfortunately, what happens a lot of times with, with churches, and especially churches like ours that I believe are, are probably more than a lot of churches committed to the Word of God and to studying God's Word, sometimes it becomes easier for us to focus on these side issues because we don't want to deal with what God is calling us to, with, with the way that the Spirit is convicting us of our own sin. Instead of dealing with God has clearly revealed this to me, and I need to repent of this and walk in truth and holiness, and I need to, to maybe ask forgiveness of my brothers, or maybe I need to be a little exposed in myself and say, this is something that I struggle with, and I need help applying God's word to my life. Instead, it's easier for us to debate some side topic of theology that doesn't really matter all that much at the end of the day. So we have to make sure that we're not falling into the trap of worrying about secondary things over worrying about the clear teachings of Scripture. I had, a, uh, I had a, an uncle when I was growing up. An uncle who was just a real macho, manly man, you know, wouldn't really, didn't really talk a whole lot, you know, strong, silent type, you know. Never, never heard him say, like, oh, I, I love you or something like that. That was just not in, his, not in his vocabulary. But when I was, like, in middle school and high school, 
uh, he would always just pull me or one of my brothers aside and he would just give us 20 bucks or something like that. And I just always thought, man, that was the coolest thing. Now, at the time, I was super excited about what I could do with that $20. You know, that's, that was worried about that gift that he was giving me. But looking back at that in retrospect, I just really appreciate the fact that this is him. He's saying, I love you. You know, this is him saying, I care about you. I'm trying to help you out. You know, I appreciate him as a person far more than I appreciate the gift that he was giving me. And, and so we as, as believers a lot of times have to make sure we're not getting too caught up in what God is giving me and not loving God for who he is, loving our Savior for who he is. The gifts are supposed to be given to us to drive us to worship God and to encourage other people to worship God and glorify him, not to glorify ourselves and to give us pride in what we have. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver of the gift. Second thing we can see from this passage is that we're called to, to look to the body of Christ for peace, comfort, and edification in the Word of God. Look to the body of Christ for peace, comfort, and edification. Okay, a couple of things in this. So the original kind of title that uh, we planned out a long month and months ago for, for this uh, was supposed to be, how can you get the most out of church? Uh, and even uh, Pastor Jeff and I were talking before the service, I don't really love that title that much because that's not the way we necessarily really want to think about it. Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of people in, in America think about church a lot of times. How do I go pick a church that I can get the most out of, okay? Uh, but I also feel like m- me not liking that title has to do a little bit with my own lack of a desire uh, to, to receive what God wants to give me through the church, what he, how he wants to build me up and use other people in the church to build me up. Because we have this idea, in, in America especially, that we need to be self-sufficient, that we need to do things on our own, that I need to be able to hear what God says to me in the Bible and do it without help from anybody else. And if those other people need help, that's okay, but I don't need that. I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, I'm mature enough to handle all this stuff on myself. And I definitely feel like I have that attitude a lot of times. And it's taken me a lot of years to see how important the body of Christ is in my spiritual growth and what God's trying to do in me. Okay, So we, we have this idea, like, shouldn't I just look to Jesus? This isn't just the word of God enough. I can just get off with my Bible, hear what God has to say to me. But this is, this is wrong. Remember what we talked about at the, at the beginning with the, the doctor. So we don't always like what the doctor tells us we're supposed to do to fix the problem. But he, he's doing that for our good. He's doing that to help us. And God has laid out clearly in Scripture how we're, supposed to, how we're supposed to function as believers and as disciples. And essential to that is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not something that's just kind of an add-on to our faith. It's not something that's just sort of a, you know, there if, you're, if you need it. People describe it sometimes as, a, you know, the church is supposed to be a, a hospital uh, for sinners. We're like, well, I don't need a hospital. I don't need that. I'm good. You know, I'm strong. I'm mature. Okay, but all of us need it. And, and God has made that very clear in Scripture. It's not optional. We're called to go and give of the gifts that God has gifted us with and to encourage others and to help edify them. But we're also called to be edified, to be built up, to be encouraged. The thing is, None of us have all of the spiritual gifts. There's, there's nobody that's just perfect in every single way other than Jesus. The reason the body of Christ is plural is because no person can live up to who Jesus is and what he is and what he did. But together, we're able to be the body of Christ incarnate. And we're able to be that for each other. We're able to help each other in those ways. And so there's no, no person in this room 
if you're a believer that doesn't have some kind of a gift to give to this body, and there's no person in this room that doesn't need something that someone else in this body can help to give to them, okay? Every single one of us needs each other. That's so essential. And as, as people who believe in a sovereign God, a God who's in control, we believe that he has brought us to this place, even if just for today, for some reason, he's united those of us who are partners here for a reason to build up the body of Christ here. And we're called to be a part of that, to be using the gifts that he's given us and to be receiving from others the edification that he's, he's given us. And, and, and this is... Uh, this is important because I think a lot of us were like, well, I don't, I don't need anything from anybody else. But one of the ways that you, that one of the reasons why a lot of people may not be able to use their gifts that they're called to use in the church is because we're not making ourselves vulnerable enough to receive what other people can, can give us. People don't know the struggles we're going through. People don't necessarily know our sin issues or our uh, anxiety or our fears. And, and so they're not able to, to encourage or they're not able to, to give or they're not able to speak truth into our lives. It takes being open. It takes being vulnerable. It takes a lot of things that, that a lot of American Christians and a lot of Americans in general are just not really open to right now. And yet as believers, we're called to be. And this is the way that God has ordained for his people to be and for his church to be. These are the means that he has given us. In Corinth, they were fighting about tongues and, and uh, focused on that and were living just in open and blatant sin. The point here, though, is not about tongues and the way we're supposed to properly use those and things like that. We could, we could prove Texas passage and use it to, to prove uh, one side or the other about a tongues issue or a tongues debate. But that's not the, the point that Paul is trying to make here. We know that because he tells us what the point is, and it's not about tongues. The point is we're supposed to be using the gifts that God has given to build up and edify the people of God. All things are done for building up. If tongues are not building up the body of Christ, then be quiet, okay? If tongues are, are if it becomes all about tongues and my ability to speak those, then it's not about Jesus and glorifying him anymore. And that's not what it's all about. We don't want to be caught up in these things. And again, it's not just about tongues. It could be anything. It's, it's sometimes easy for, for us because, you know, tongues is not a big deal here in our church. Uh, so it's easy for us to kind of, you know, throw off on that and be like, ah, oh, those people who speak in tongues are so silly. Why would they do things like that? But we all have our own little petty things that we get distracted by. We have our own. We have our little intense debates and arguments that we want to get into and then we can go off in and, and they can be fun sometimes. But at the end of the day, we don't want to be so distracted by those things that we're not doing the real ministry of growing our faith and encourage each other and building up God's family and building up God's church. So here's the qualification for all spiritual gifts in their proper use. Are they encouraging and helping other believers and pointing them to Jesus? If so, wonderful. Are they about your ego and pointing others to yourself and how good you are and how amazing you are? Then stop. Okay? This is the clear message that we see in a passage like this. The giftings that God has given us, the giftings that he's given us through the Spirit are about building up the body of Christ and encouraging other believers. So there's two big implications from all of this. First of all, you are called to use your gifts to build up the church and other believers. You're called to that. Every single person is called to that ministry. You know, Many of you have taken a spiritual gifts assessment. 
that I told you the, the, first, the first Sunday on the gifted, talk to, people, talk to people who know you. Talk to people who you've ministered alongside in the past or talk to people who, who know you the most, your spouse if you're married. Talk to people who know you the most, your, your parents. Uh, find out what they say about your giftedness because a lot of times they'll have better insight than a, than a survey or a form. But fill out the survey and use that as a reference point as well. Use that as a way to think through the ways that God might have gifted you. And here's the thing. Then you may get involved in that and be like, oh, that was wrong. Um, that is not the way that I'm gifted. Or you may get into to something and realize, man, this is exactly what I'm called to do. Okay, It may have not have seemed like that, but that was what you were supposed to do at all. And yet God has gifted you in that way. But at the end of the day, you're called to use those gifts that God has given you to build up the church and other believers. So are you doing that? Are you using those gifts that he's given you? Again, we believe in a sovereign God who's brought us to this place for whatever reason he's brought us here, but we know that it's for a reason and that he wants to use you to help build up this body of believers. So how are you using those gifts to do that? And if you feel like, uh, you know, our pastors are not perfect, all of our structure is not always perfect, you know, there could be ways where people, if you feel like I haven't really been given an opportunity to use these gifts that I have, come talk to myself, come talk to, to Pastor Jeff. When Pastor Chris comes back, come talk to him. Talk to somebody about the ways that you feel you're gifted and we'll find a way for you to serve and to use those gifts to build up the church. The second thing we've got to remember is that we're called, we're called to look to other believers in the church to use their gifts to edify us as well. Again, I, I saw the original title of this, of this message was like kind of cringy. I don't like, you know, I don't, it's not in, in my nature or in my theology to be like, oh, how can I receive? You know, that's, that's, not, that's not what I, I like. I think I get way more embarrassed when somebody's trying to give me a gift or somebody gives me a compliment or something like that. I, that's not what I'm all about. But at the same time, we are called to be a part of this body, and other people are called to use their gifts in ways that encourage and strengthen us. If it wasn't for the body of Christ using their giftedness in my life, I would not be here today. I would not be here today. There have been men and women throughout the, the you know, 37 years of my life who've invested prayerfully, who've sacrificially used their time and their talents and their gifts to, to, pour, into, to pour into my life. And I, I'm sure that each one of you who's a believer who's sitting here can think about people who, you know, whether it was when you were a kid or whether when, when, when you were coming to faith in Jesus, who God used to, however imperfectly, impact your life, to challenge you, to encourage you, to, to help you come to faith. God uses means to apply the gospel to people's lives and to bring them to him and to edify them in their faith. He uses people, imperfect people, to do this. I heard um, Pastor Jeff earlier in the parenting thing talk about, you know, we just went through judges and saw how God uses these imperfect people to, to do these incredible things for him. And that's what we're called to do as parents. Absolutely. We're called to be imperfect people who are parenting our children. But we're also, you know, it's easy for us to look around and be like, Man, I don't need anything from, from all these people. I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm sufficient on my own. Or Like, they're all messed up sinners too. Like, how are they going to do something for me? Well, if God can use me, the messed up sinner that I am, to help somebody else, then he can certainly use other people to speak truth into my life and encourage me and to help me to grow in my faith as well. So it's all us, him using us as imperfect people, as imperfect sinners to speak truth into each other's lives and encourage each other, and the Spirit uses us in that way. It's really kind of an incredible thing when you think about it. You think about the church almost like a little uh, spiritual economy. 
And I, uh, I was hesitant to use an economy for the church, but then I remember, you know, we had the talent, the parable of the talents. You know, maybe there's, maybe there's some little precedence for this you know, here. So if you think about the, the church as this, this economy, and the Spirit is, is filling up these accounts that God has given us with, and we're called to use these things. And there's times in our lives where we may need to be on spiritual welfare, where, where I need to just go, and, and I need somebody to speak truth into me, and I, I need to, to receive what God has given me. But, but that's not supposed to be the case for us for all of our lives. At the end of the day, we're not called to just people, be people who are consumers. We're called to be contributing to what God is doing in this work here. So we need to ask ourselves, there are times and there are places and there are relationships where we're receiving from the Spirit through another person. But there need to be, as well, times where we're contributing to what God is doing and what his mission is. So we don't want to be just a drain on the spiritual economy of this church. We want to be people who are contributing to what God is doing and what, his king, what he's trying to accomplish through this people in this place. The third thing we want to see, final, final point from this passage, is we're called to give and receive edification in the way God designed. To give and receive edification in the way that God designed. And um, I'm, I'm going to look at this passage again, and I'm going to tell you, I almost uh, just said, ah, we're just not going to worry about this part. Hey, we've got enough stuff to, to learn about uh, here in the, the first few verses we were reading. But we're just going to go through this, and again, we're going to try to put into practice some of the things that we've been learning so far. So let's, let's do this. So uh, we're going to pick up in verse, um, we're going to pick up in verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in all order. So let's jump into this passage with two feet. So... Um, <laughs> So when, when interpreting a, a, a touchy passage like this passage, we're going to remember three key things. First of all, humility. Okay, First of all, we, we, we want to come to a passage like this with humility, especially for somebody like myself. Um, you know, There are people way more qualified and who've spoken way more eloquently than I ever can on this issue, and you can find all that information online in many different varieties and forms. And so feel free to look those up and email those things to me after this service. That'd be totally fine. Um, so we want to have a little sense of humility about this. But we also want to, to look again, like we were saying at the beginning of the passage, at both the immediate context and the overall biblical context of a passage like this. And because of that, we, we know a few things. First of all, we know that there were specific problems that the Corinthian church was facing. We've already talked about those. They were disorderly. They were divisive. They were focused on the wrong things. And that's actually the, the kind of the point that made me decide to go ahead and go through this verse anyway, because we have a really good opportunity right here to practice what we're trying to put into place, to not get so distracted by a secondary issue that we miss the most important truths, okay? So, so that's the first thing that we would say because the, the, the reality is that there are really good theologians who, like with this passage, believe in a lot of different things. The second thing we want to understand is the context of all Scripture. 
So we know uh, very clearly that God uses women in some incredible ways throughout Scripture. We know that Priscilla was called on to administer and uh, to minister to and uh, admonish Apollos. We know Timothy's grandmother was responsible for discipling him. We know in Titus we hear that older women are to teach younger women. Uh, so we know that there's no qualification that women are not allowed to, to teach or be used or be gifted in that kind of a way. Uh, so what we see here very clearly, and so looking back again at the context, the key for us to remember, whether you are, uh, you know, whatever, you, wherever you end up standing on the specifics of this passage, we want to make sure we remember two things. First of all, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the very end of this, but all things should be done decently and in order. What's the point that What's the point that Paul's trying to make in this passage? The point that he's trying to make in this passage is that there's a lot of chaos and confusion in the church at Corinth, and the issue is the disorder, the issue is the chaos, and he's correcting that chaos. God has ordained uh, men to be elders and to have that spiritual role. He's ordained husbands to be the spiritual leaders of their household, and that order is getting imbalanced in the church at Corinth. And it's, it's leading to chaos and it's leading to confusion in this place. And he's admonishing them for, for getting out of order from what God has called and what God has ordained. And so we're called to give and receive edification in the way that God has ordained. There are limits. There are, uh, uh, there are rails that this train is on. Okay, And so he's laid those things out for us in Scripture and we're called to submit to those things. I like to think about it, um, I, I, love, I love basketball. My wife and I uh, both coach basketball a lot. And um, if you've ever coached any team of kids that are really young, like just starting out into a game, it can be chaos, all right, because they don't know the rules. All right? So you're, you're coaching in basketball a group of five- and six-year-olds. They're gonna, you're not going to get a lot done. Okay? They're going to be throwing the ball all over the place, they're going to be tackling each other because they don't know they're not supposed to be fouling each other. And, you know, maybe the, the game ends, you know, four to two or something like that. You know, it's not a lot of fun to watch unless you're a parent. Um, but, and a lot of times not even as a parent or a coach. Uh, but but it, it's chaotic because the thing is the rules help people to function in the way that they're, the, the way that, a way that ends up becoming very beautiful. The, the, the rules help us to, to make this thing work. And that, that's the way that, that God is, when he's ordained an orderly way for things to function, the way for things to happen, the way that he's designed things, when it's functioning in the proper way, it's a beautiful thing. These rules are not to keep people in subjection. These rules are not to keep people or prohibit people from the way they're supposed to serve. It's, a, it's supposed to allow the spirit to move and to function in the body of Christ in a beautiful way. And that's the way that we're called to think about these, uh, these directives that he's given us in this passage. So we're called to, to, to use these gifts to give and receive edification in the way that God has ordained and the way that God has designed in Scripture. So it's, this is a per, uh, this is a per, like I was saying, it's a perfect opportunity then for us to, to really practice what, what we were learning in the, in the beginning part of this, to, to focus on the main idea and the main point. And the main ideas and the main stress that he has in all of this is that there's going to be things that we have disagreements on. There's going to be things that we have debates about. There's going to be differences on the, the role of tongues in the church. 
on uh, whether that gift continues or doesn't continue. There's going to be differences that people have on the roles of women in the church and the extent and amount that women are, are able to, to teach and preach from the church. These, these things come from Scripture because they're talked about in Scripture, and so those questions are going to be constantly arising and needing to be dealt with. But he's saying what we need to do is we need to consider the main points. First of all, like we said, chapter 13, love, the love that we have for one another. And then chapter 15 as well. We didn't read this at the beginning, but I want to just read the first few verses of, of chapter 15 at this point just to show us that what all this is pointing towards. He says in chapter 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And he goes on to just kind of lay out and detail the gospel right there. So there's a danger in a passage like this of doing exactly what the Corinthians were doing and obscuring the, the important things to worry about and get sidetracked by the secondary things. And we see it in churches all the time. So we want to make sure that that's not what we're doing. It doesn't mean that Issues about tongues are not important. It doesn't mean that the role of women is not important in the church. These things are important. But we don't want to obscure the important things, the most important things, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love that we have for one another. So faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for us. These are the keys. So there's some applications today as we, we uh, wrap this up today. So a few applications. Is there anywhere where you're building yourself up at, ex- at the expense of building the church up? Is there anywhere in your life where you're building yourself up at the expense of building the church up? Okay? Or is there, are you trying to use the gifts that you have or the strength that you have to make yourself look good? Are you trying to build up the church of God? So think about those giftings that you have and how you're using those things. Another one of the, the, the key passages in this, this text is in verse 20. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. I love that kind of metaphor there. Be infants in evil. So I want to, to ask that question. Are, are you an infant or like many of us? You're advancing through, right through the teenage years into full-grown adulthood in, in evil. Where are we in evil in our lives? We should be infants. We should be naive when it comes to evil. But mature in knowledge of God. Mature in our faith. So are you growing and maturing in godliness or evil? Which one are you maturing in? Which one are you getting better in? What are those areas where you have become mature in evil, and how can you confess and repent of those and turn to God? And when it comes to God and His church, uh, do the things that you spend your time on, the things that you think about, are they glorifying God, helping you to glorify God, and, and pointing other people to Jesus, or are they glorifying yourself and dividing and hurting others? I had a nice little, I don't know if, it, if we can see this, I had a nice little uh, sketch that I drew out here. I don't know if you can see that very well, but. Um, but I was trying to draw visually what I thought about this passage here. And uh, where we're trying to be is up on the top right, joy-filled and purposeful, okay? Joy-filled and purposeful. And so that's going to be correlating to the time spent focused on Christ and his word and the time spent uniting with the body of Christ. And we've got a couple of ways that we can kind of fall into error 
with this. I think we see from this passage. We can, um, we can spend time uniting with the body of Christ, but spend time with the body of Christ on petty things that don't really matter that much. And that's going to lead us to become anxious and divisive in how we are. So if you're spending time with Christ, but you're spending time on things that don't really matter that much, you're going to become a divisive presence in the body of Christ. And that's not where we want to be. If you're spending time and you're spending your gifts in in isolation and on things that don't really matter that much, then you're going to be anxious and scared and ineffective. You're not going to have the encouragement that other people are going to bring you. You're not going to know when you're falling into sin or you're not going to be able to be corrected. You're not going to be able to, to use the gifts that God has given you in any kind of way. If you're spending time focused on the word and on Christ, but in isolation away from the body of Christ, you can become very arrogant and conceited and still very ineffective because what's the point of gaining all this knowledge and maturity with no place to use it? And so we see very clearly from this passage, we're called to to look at our lives and look at ourselves and see how, uh, see if, if we're spending our time focused on the gospel and focused on Christ and his word while uniting with the body of Christ in a way that we can be effective, we can be filled with joy and filled with purpose in our lives. Okay, so if uh, you're a visual learner, maybe that'll help you a little bit there. But again, where we, where we wrap up is with that, uh, that the end, end of all this uh, really is the, the frame that we have between, um, between 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 15. So we see in 1 Corinthians 14, chaos and confusion and debate about uh, tongues uh, and, and, and fighting about something that's a secondary importance. What we see in, in chapter 13 and chapter 15 are the things that are of the first importance. The love that we have for the body of Christ and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. These are the things of first importance. Tongues and the spiritual gifts and the way we use those things, they matter. But at the end of the day, we don't want to be so bogged down by some of those things that we forget what matters the most in life.